Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, there's lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's dr W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E dot com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, no matter when you listen to this episode, you can win a free signed book of yours truly. All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well. So every month, no matter when you listen to this, my team and I will be going through the reviews on Apple Podcasts and randomly picking a winner And then we'll reach out to you and you can let us know which book you want me to sign and we'll send it straight to your house. And you also can, you could put your Instagram handle in the Apple podcast review, or you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole and just screenshot the review and say, Hey, I left a review and you could do it that way as well. All right, let's get to today's guest. His name is Michael Brandt. Everything this guy does is fast and intense. Aside from being the CEO and co-founder of Health Via Modern Nutrition, or HVMN, he cruises through marathons at a cool six-minute mile pace. No big deal, right? With the launch of Ketone IQ, Michael and his team created an entirely new category of ketone shots which you're going to learn all about today, which have taken over elite sports and high-end workplaces. Michael has quickly scaled the business to multi-million dollars in revenue, including a $6 million contract with the U.S. Department of Defense. 
As CEO, Michael is focused on cultivating a world-class team and increasing education and access to metabolic health and performance. Michael majored in computer science and product design at Stanford. He scored a 99th percentile on his GMAT, but decided to skip business school and go straight into entrepreneurship. Prior to starting HVMN, he was a professor of brand strategy at the Academy of Art in San Francisco. Michael and his co-founder were awarded Forbes 30 under 30. Basically, this guy knows his stuff. You all are going to love this conversation. So let's get right to it. This is Michael Brandt's Art of Being Well. Michael, I'm super excited that we're talking about. Thanks for geeking out with me today. Are you are you up for this challenge? <laughs> I'm excited. Good to be here, Dr. Will. Yeah, cool. man. It's going to be amazing. All right. So people are going to learn about how we can optimally fuel our metabolism, optimally fuel our brain, optimally fuel our energy so much. They're going to, we're going to get out of this conversation. Let's, can we set the stage first? And can you tell me, so everybody knows, what are the statistics? Like, what are we facing as a human race right now as far as metabolic problems and how ubiquitous it is? It's highly ubiquitous. We're in a metabolic health crisis. 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Three quarters are, are overweight or obese. Diabetes correlates with all of this, obviously. Like as you have more, more sugar, more refined carbohydrates in your diet, it's really bad for your metabolism. We're seeing in massive spikes in even adolescent diabetes where pe people are just having way too much sugar way too quickly in their lives. And it, the sum total of it is that we're just way out of whack. The ancient human context did not have all of these sweets and refined carbohydrates around. And we're in a, we're in a bad spot because it's stuff super addicting. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be addicted to anything. Like it's not this like negative label. It's just, it just is. We're all addicted to this sugar. That's really bad for us. And I, I think people haven't quite realized it. It's, it feels like it's cigarettes in the 1960s where you still have, it's still like in the window of normal to be smoking a cigarette. You have like doctors talking about it, right? You still have doctors saying like, oh, drink fruit juice. Like mm -hmm. it's still in the window of too acceptable. If you ask me and like, we're still headed in the wrong direction. And I think some people are trying to, at least in their personal lives, have like grabbed the steering wheel and gone in the right direction or more of a correct direction. As a society, it feels like we're, we're headed not necessarily in the right way. So you're absolutely right. I agree with you fully. All right. So we know the bigger things, like the person that's listening to this right now knows, okay, they know type two diabetes, they know pre-diabetes, they know what weight loss resistance looks like because it's visible. But what about the silent things, you know, on the outside silent, right? What are the things that maybe they're somewhere on that insulin resistant metabolic syndrome spectrum, but they think, oh, that's not me. I'm not type two diabetic. What are some of the other signs that people can notice that they're somewhere on that spectrum. They may not be full-blown diabetic, but they're, they're struggling with blood sugar problems and metabolic issues. Yeah. I would say when people feel overly tired or like often hungry or hangry, like hangry is not a personality type, Like you should <laughs> not be constantly in source of the next meal. And there's different calories that make you more satiated versus less satiated. And if you're finding yourself just constantly fiending and like constantly thinking about food, there might be a question about the quality of food where if you have thousand calories of steak and eggs, 
you just pack it in, you're probably not going to be hungry right afterwards. Like you're probably going to, you're probably going to be full. You're probably going to be satiated versus if you have a lot of a thousand calories of, I don't know, milkshake, it's just not going to, it's not going to satiate you the same way. So I would say like being like frequently very hungry, like feeling like you're constantly eating more than you can expend, but like, Hey, you're hungry, right? Like you shouldn't deny your hunger, but like you just, you're observing, Hey, I'm just hungrier than I am expelling any sort of calories. And yeah, frequently being, being tired throughout the day. Like we should be, I don't know if you're a young, healthy person, you should, you should have good energy generally throughout the day. Obviously it ebbs and flows. You have good days and bad days, but it should, you should not be like chronically running into a wall. We have to over caffeinate just to like get, send out a few emails. Yeah. Brain fog is another one, which I find interestingly with patients that it's not always directly proportional to fatigue, right? It's like you'll have people that, that of course, the more fatigued they are, it can exacerbate brain fog. But I talk to many people countless over the years that will tell me, even when I have a great energy day, I still have brain fog. I still feel hungover. I still feel like word recall, name recall, and this sort of fuzziness on my brains, if you will, is still there. Wouldn't you agree that that's, that can be a component of metabolic inflexibility as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Our brain is a really important organ and it has a lot of the same properties as the rest of our body where it has it can develop insulin resistance yeah. where you you stop being able to metabolize sugar if you're eating sugar all the time. Your brain is not getting the fuel that it needs. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, right? Because when you start throwing caffeine or other nootropics at your brain, it's like you're trying to rev up the engine, but there's still a need for energy. Metabolism still needs to take place. You can, caffeine is a stimulant. There's other types of drugs that are different stimulants. People have Adderall, people have this, that, the other, you can go through the whole list. There's a lot of different substances that you can take to, to rev up your brain engine. But what you're doing in that case is you're, you're increasing the activity, but there's still the need for a metabolic substrate, something with calories in it that turns into ATP in your mitochondria efficiently. And if you're eating, I tell you, it ain't pure table sugar. Like that is not the good (laughs) fuel. Like there's, I don't want to be, you know, we make a pure ketone drink called Ketone IQ. That is a nice source of fuel. I don't want to be dogmatic here. That's not the only good fuel you can put in. Like your whole diet contributes to what you're using for metabolism hour by hour. But there's certainly is a spectrum and there's healthier items that are way more on one end of the spectrum. And yeah. I, it's, I, it's news, not news to you. I, it's a lot of yeah. the good, the good stuff that you're, you're speaking about all the time. Yeah. Well, when we'll get to ketone IQ. We'll get to all the ways that people can fuel themselves for sure. And, and, and as you were talking, I think honestly, the podcast title should be hangry is not a personality type. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be your name, colon, hangry is not a personality type. Brilliant. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's dig into the science of fuel because you're absolutely right. If neurotropics have their place and I, I want to actually dig into neurotropics with you afterwards, but let's start with fueling the brain. I mean, the people have to realize what are we going to fuel your brain? And there is a clean way of doing it. There's a metabolically sustainable way of doing it. And one of the ways of in that conversation of metabolic flexibility has to do with keto, ketones and ketosis. What are ketones? Let's define it for the people and how it really acts in many ways as not just an epigenetic modulator, which we can talk about, but it is a macronutrient. It's known as a fourth macronutrient. So what are we talking about here? Yeah. 
ketones are a source of energy that your body makes and ancient humans made more of it because you make ketones when you don't have high levels of blood sugar. So if you're doing a low carb diet, or if you're active, moving around, exercising, or if you're fasting, your body is going to run low on glucose, carbohydrates, and it's going to start making ketones. So ancient human 200, 300,000 years ago, didn't have Slurpees and Kit Kats on the Savannah <laughs> and was therefore making more ketones, had higher ketone levels. It's interesting in the modern world because we kind of think, I've heard it said, I've probably said it myself that ketones are your backup energy source when you don't have glucose around. And I've actually started thinking about it a little bit differently where it's not, it's not even like backup because humans, ancient humans arguably had that as the dominant energy source. Because if you aren't eating carbs all the time, you, you're generally having some ketones to fuel your brain and other organs. It's like carbohydrates are the special, the special fuel that you have. Sometimes you find some berries or there's some, some wheat, like, like that, that's like the special boost fuel that you have on occasion. But that like ketones is instead of like the backup fuel, like ketones should be the, the main, the main fuel. And maybe that's a way to update our, our framing around it. Ketones are really interesting, right? So carbohydrates can fuel your brain, but you don't always have carbohydrates present in an ancient context. Humans, as we all know, have large brains for our body size, or that's part of what makes humans humans is we have, we have really big brains and we evolve the ability to create ketones in large part to fuel our brains because our brains require a lot of fuel. Fat does not cross the blood brain barrier. So we evolve the ability to turn fat into ketones so that our brains can function when we're, if you haven't eaten in a couple of days, or if you haven't eaten carbs in a couple of days and you've been walking around hunting, gathering, et cetera, that you're, you're able to still function because your body is making these ketones. So ketones are this really efficient form of fuel that your body makes to cross the blood brain barrier and supply your brain with this really efficient form of form of fuel. So that, that's what a ketone is. You know, just kind of textbook and Love it. there's a lot of different ways to like get a ketone. You can make your own ketones. You can, yeah. Let's talk about endogenous ketones first. Like what People are like, okay, cool. I want to tap into this fourth macronutrient. How do I do it just through eating or fasting? What are some ways that people can start to tap into this fuel source? Yeah. Well, one good thing just to start off is that you can, you can measure all of this. That's one cool thing about, we're talking about metabolism, ketones and blood glucose is it's all measurable. You can, you can see what your ketone levels are at. You can do a blood ketone test, you can do a breath ketone test, a urine ketone test. And one, one way that you can do it is by fasting or eating low carb. And you'll see, because basically your body is going to try to use the same amount of energy, more or less. Your body may, if you, stop, if you fast for a day or two days, your body is going to potentially decrease its basal metabolic rate, like metabolize less, but you're still alive, right? You're still functioning. So you're still like using... 75 plus percent of your normal amount of calories. And if you're not eating carbohydrates, then that energy deficit needs to be supplied from somewhere. Your body is going to ramp up ketone production, which by the way, you can get better at. If you're a metabolically flexible person, if you're a marathon runner or you're someone who does intermittent fasting on a regular basis, your body's actually really good at switching on ketone production. There's enzymes that 
that allow your body to more rapidly create ketones. That's what, when we talk about metabolic flexibility, it's not this abstract concept. It's right. that like, actually, if you're training for a marathon, you're going on your weekend long runs. One thing that you are tr- adapting your body to be able to do is to create fuel quickly on the go. When you are in a depleted state, you're making your body better at creating ketones. So there's things you can do to induce your body to make its own ketones. A lot of people like the way that that feels. They like the way they feel when they're low carb or fasting. They feel really dialed in. Runner's high. You feel really sharp. And yeah, a lot of people subjectively like the way they they feel. A a lot of times there's that hump though, where like if you haven't made ketones, if you're 35 years old and you've never been in ketosis (laughs) since you were a baby, you might... It's like a muscle. You're going to have, it's going to be hard to get into ketosis that first time, but it gets easier. Absolutely. And and, yeah, you brought up a good point. We are all producing ketones when we're born. I mean, every baby's very metabolically flexible and burning ketones. And we lose that birthright over time because of that genetic, epigenetic, like mismatch. We are, like you mentioned, ancestrally living in a very different way than our, our genome has evolved with living. So, all right, let's talk about the ketogenic diet real fast. Where do you think, where have you found the most success with as far as macros? Do you feel like protein moderation is something that people should be mindful of if they want to optimize ketosis? As, you know, for a gluconeogenesis is concerned, maybe to talk about, explain what I'm trying to get at. And then the carb side, how should people be measuring carbs? How many grams a day? 20, 30, 50? What are your thoughts there? I'll start by saying there's not an exact cookie cutter answer. It depends what you're going for. So I, I personally don't do a strict ketogenic diet. I'm a marathon runner. I run a lot. I eat carbs around my training. And at the same time, I'm getting into ketosis almost every day because just the, my personal equation on like energy in to or carbohydrate energy in to energy expended, it puts me at this deficit where I'm still... I'm clearing out the carbs I'm eating on like a frequent basis. So that's, that's the main principle I would say is like you for, for carbs and especially sugar that you're eating, you want to be sure that you're doing enough activity to burn it off. So if you're not a super active person, you shouldn't eat a lot of carbs. If you're doing Ironman training, some goo pouches, oatmeal, like that stuff is probably fine for you. So it's about this like relative balance where you want to be, you can think about one way to think about carbohydrates is that they're this super calorie dense, effective form of fuel, but you want to burn it. If it's sitting around, that's no bueno. That's Mm. if it's just sitting around your bloodstream, that's what you want to avoid. So have it, it works. If you're going to go run a marathon or do a play a soccer game or something like carbs can work, but like what you don't want is just be like fueling off of Kit Kats while you're sitting at your desk, not, not burning a ton of carbohydrates. So anyway, it's, I would say generally 50 grams of carbs that's not, I don't think overly restrictive keto purists wouldn't consider that pure keto. Pure keto is like 20 grams or, or less, which is, it's doable. If you focus on it, 50 grams is more, more normal. Like mm-hmm. you can still, you're still going to be feeling low carb. Like you cannot yeah. just go to Jamba juice and have a smoothie. But if you generally, you can generally live a lifestyle while eating lowish carb. If you're stacking an hour of physical activity on top of that, I would say you're in the ballpark of being metabolically healthy where you're not eating too much carbs. You're burning off most or all or of them. And if we want to put some numbers out there, like 50 grams of carbs, yeah. hour exercise a day. Hey, 
Love it. That's actually what I recommend in Ketotarian in my first book is around 50 grams, but implement intermittent fasting to support ketosis then and physical activity, which we're completely synchronistic there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's a place for lower carb. Look, some people are not going to get in deep ketosis if that is a goal of theirs at 50 grams. Like for a time lowering, I agree, can be beneficial to support that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's interesting. I think people see a lot of success doing sprints of keto, especially for weight loss, body comp. Agreed. One of the issues I see in the space is honestly on the framing around it, where I, I hear a lot of people that say they feel like they failed, where like they tried keto, they can only do it for three weeks and, they, and then they fell off and then like yeah. pendulum swung all the way back. I think we should normalize just doing a few weeks of keto. Like yep. do a few weeks of keto, learn what has hidden sugars in it or not. Like try that super strict keto lifestyle see how it works and then gracefully dismount and don't <laughs> dismount to McFlurries and French fries or whatever, yeah. like standard American diet, like dismount to what you and I are saying that 50 grams a day, like, Hey, you can bring back some carbs in your life. You can have, you have a pizza night now and then like, it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. enjoy life, have some carbohydrates. And then if you need to aggressively lose weight or you just feel good clearing your system, go back into a period of aggressive fasting and keto. Yeah. Now, it, it all makes sense the evolutionary context where there would be periods of prolonged, you know, feast and famine that yeah. like, it's, it's completely normal to, to do that. Like you, you don't necessarily, there's no rule saying you have to have three meals a day as a steady state forever. Yeah. Like it's okay 100%. to periodize it. It's a great idea to periodize it. Yeah. hundred percent agreed. And I even find that as someone gains metabolic flexibility, they can really go in and out. Like you said, they have the proper enzymes to really vacillate and cyclically get in ketosis and even moderate their carbs even more. Like I find that some people do around great 7,500 grams, even 150 coming from whole food sources with fiber, which is really stabilizing a lot of this. Not everybody has a metabolic flexibility to do that, especially if they've been damaging their metabolism for so long. What do you think of that? Like an actual cyclical approach, thinking like women that are menstruating or people that just from a flexibility standpoint, what's, do you, is 50 grams your limit or do you feel like that people could play around with a little bit higher than that? Yeah, you can go higher. I think when we're talking about periodizing it, that there's, there's a lot of interesting science around doing keto, but then doing refeeding. Yep. Where, okay, we're talking about, now we're talking about like having a really, blended diet, if we're talking hundred grams plus of carbs, that's, that's great. I would say, unless you're doing a ton of exercise, you, that's sounding like a lot of carbs to have that every single day. But if you're periodizing it where you're doing fasting and keto, you don't want to necessarily be in this like starved state all the time. It has its own downsides yeah. Yeah. to it. And so a periodized refeeding where your body can completely relax and can get completely replete and then cycling yeah. through it again. That makes a lot of sense. Like a two to three day. That's why I said it's not the majority of the week even. So let's talk about that around heavy workouts. You mentioned being a, ma- a marathon runner. Like, what do you say to the people that say, well, I have to have carbs around workouts, even if it's not endurance training, even if it's just like the average, I'm going to the gym or I'm doing some sort of run, I'm do- uh, but I'm not an a, like a, a elite athlete. <laughs> do, can people do people need carbs to work out or can people be fully fueled on fat and ketones? I think a lot of times when people say that it's their mind playing tricks on them. And I think if you went to the gym and you just hit that first set, hit that first mile, 
that that hunger would probably go away. That you don't necessarily have to like believe your mind. I, I would say try just getting out there and running and or lifting. You probably have carbs, like just through living life, unless yeah. you're really strict on the things that we've been talking about. And even so, like you probably have some ambient blood glucose. You probably have enough carbs to go do your orange theory class or whatever, right? Like you probably right, have right. enough carbs. I don't think you need to go and have a cliff bar on top of that. I think if we're getting into more advanced training, okay, what I do for marathoning, for instance, is sometimes I will, I will, like if I'm running a lot, I'll sometimes be running twice a day. I'm running 70 miles a week. I will be very strategic where there's certain runs. I'll wake up early and I, I won't eat and I'll go on a, for me, like a slow run, like a zone two run where the explicit goal there is to be using fat and ketones. Like I want to be going at this like sub, like below my red zone, mm-hmm. just cruising really efficiently, like not focus on speed, but efficiency, just the ability to run on like a low carb tank and just like turn over and be smooth, easy, light, smooth. That's one type of training. If I'm about to go do a really intense sprint session, or if you're really hitting the weights and you really need that explosive, that pow, glucose is really good for that. So if you, if, as you go more advanced on the training, you can be selective. Okay. Do I want to do a fasted workout to induce some metabolic flexibility? Am I hitting it really hard on this class? And I need to make sure I'm eating some carbohydrates. So I really have explosive power. Yes. I would say like that is for the people that are really getting after where you're training like five plus days a week and you're really dialing it in. I think if you're a more casual gym goer, there's, you're probably getting enough fuel in your life. I don't know if you need to like intentionally eat a bunch of carbs before going to Equinox for 45 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I would try just getting, yeah. getting going at the gym and see if the hunger kind of exercise can, can have appetite suppressing effects when you get mm-hmm. going on at it. As, as the engine starts to turn on and your body will actually start to release stored glucose, your blood glucose actually rises when you start to exercise. You might feel that hunger go away and then great, you got to work out in and you didn't stack a bunch of carbohydrates in order to get it done. Yeah. Agreed fully. The let's go to the more of elite or endurance training. And you mentioned you increasing some carbohydrates, but you're almost like, I don't want to use the word earning it, but you know, you're going to burn it off. Like it's not about earning. It. It's about like, okay, you know, you're going to burn this kindling off because you're doing a lot of endurance training. How much carbs for those people that do that? I, I don't know if that's the majority of people that are listening to the podcast, but like for someone that is really putting a lot of, they're really expending a lot of, of calories, how much carb loading, quote unquote, are you doing around the, those times? Yeah, it's like if you look at a bowl of oatmeal, they'll have like 30 grams, maybe a big bowl of like 50 grams. That's like if you're if you're really running a lot, there's a, there's a point for elite sports where the problem becomes you actually can't eat enough. Like if anyone's ever trained for an Ironman or like kind of top decile or maybe even top percentile of fitness, it's like the equation actually reverses where you're exercising so much and exercise can have these appetite suppressing effects because your body is basically like always a little stressed. It's always, you got always got this high cortisol. Your body's always ready to go because you're doing like two hours of biking in the morning and swimming at night. Like, if you're really on peak like that, if you're NFL athlete, collegiate athlete, like the equation starts being like, oh, wow, I can't eat enough. Like I'm exercising so much. I'm burning so much. I got to eat more. If you're in that segment, then yeah, I, I would say being able to stack carbohydrates, the 30, 50 grams of 
carbohydrates before as a pre-workout or breakfast before your workout can make a lot of sense. Okay, cool. I, I, I can get around that for sure. Again, from whole food sources with fiber, all that stuff. All right. Let, we talked about endogenous ketones. I'd like to dip right into neurotropics if we could. You touched on it at the top of the conversation. Are, do you have some favorite neurotropics? And if so, what are they? Yeah, definitely. This is like the classic one, but every, everyone's familiar with caffeine, obviously. When you stack caffeine with L-theanine, that's just really basic stack. Yeah. Really, really good. Where caffeine provides alertness, as we all know. L-theanine provides anxiolytic effects where it, it makes you not so jittery from the caffeine. Yeah. That's a great one. I think people know about a few other ones like Bacopa, Monieri. That's more of a compounding ongoing. It increases blood flow to the brain. There's a few different nootropics that, that work there. What, a couple ones maybe, maybe people don't think about a lot is I think that nicotine gum is really interesting. I don't have mm. it every day or even every week. But I really like, I don't, I've never been a smoker, none of that, but like a nicotine gum with like, I don't know, just low dose Nicorette. I find that very effective. Like when I need it, I, I don't want to be like addicted to Nicorette. That'd be quite that'd the nineties thing. <laughs> Whatever yeah, it yeah. came out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I, I know but, what you're talking about. It's big in the biohacking space and in the, like Dave Asprey loves, I'm talking about this stuff. Yeah. Cause it's pretty clean and it doesn't really keep you up at night, like if you, I don't know, it doesn't have like in a lot of ways, caffeine is more hardcore because caffeine's got this six hour half-life. It really interferes with your sleep hormones. If you have it too late in the day versus, versus Nicorette kind of stimulates that you just feel dialed, dialed in, switched on. A lot of people, you know, plant, different plant-based medicines really taking off these days. A lot of people are into low dose psilocybin. There's increasing legalization around that where you can go to a clinic and a doctor can, you know, a lot of people these days have anxiety or restless leg syndrome or whatever, where you can get a doctor's diagnosis and you can do a controlled, you can do a controlled plant-based medicine experience. And there's other things, ketamine, there's things like that. You can go more, more deeper. There's, I think about it as two general buckets. There's what you have maybe on a daily or more frequent basis you know, in the moment when you need it. And then there's the kind of once a quarter mental resets where, yeah. You go deep within yourself and you think about what around you in life is serving you versus what you want to let go of. And you just zoom all the way out and you see yourself in the cockpit seat of your own life and how is the plane doing and looking at yourself objectively. I think both are important and it's an exciting time. I think there's a lot more discussion going on around all of this. Yeah. And I, I think people should have, I think it's one of the most human things is to be able to pull the levers in our own mind of our own perception and to be able to use outside substances. Mm -hmm. like, arguably, that's what makes us human where there's the, I, you know, already the stoned ape theory where the idea is that the, the first human experiences were like pre-humans, like, like apes that basically got high on mushrooms and were like, wow, <laughs> Like, look at my hand. Look at that person's hand. When they see their hand, or is that experience like me seeing my hand? And they had the first like, like experience Ascension. of the theory of their own mind yeah. and the empathy. And what would you, what would you yeah, say? There? I said like sort of ascending from their sort of primal awareness. Yeah, and in that sense, humans have always been participants in our own evolution, and that's one thing that makes us fundamentally human is we go and do things and we build bridges and we make fire and we cook meat and we go and build things and we go and 
add on to our own conscious experience. We do it in community with other people. And mm-hmm. it's a fundamental aspect of, of the human experience. And it's cool to see that we're returning to that in some ways. Although society has a lot of different factions and opinions and yeah. whatnot. So I don't know if yeah. all, everyone is there. No, but, but you're right. I think, I think there's, uh, for sure, that's a good way of putting it. There's this undercurrent, I agree with you, that's sort of a returning or remembering of our roots, which is really cool to be a part of. I, I like the way you put it too, like two buckets, like neurotropics on like a date, like L-theanine, caffeine, like Bacopa, adaptogens can all be at least one thing. And then we have these sort of next level things that we can explore or talk about or talk with your doctor about as well. P- pivoting into the exogenous ketones. Can I, I just need to give you a shout out specifically. The, the ketone IQ, man, I, I few s- stories I have around ketone IQ. Number one is my son is 15 years old, going to be 16. He said, dad, can we go to the Justin Bieber concert? I'm like, Solomon, I go to bed at 9 p.m. I want to be at home. I don't really go out very much, <laughs> but I like, I want to be a good dad. I'll go out and see the beeps. But I'm like, I, your ketone IQ, I took, a, I went out, we went with another, some friends of his and the parents, and I did a shot of ketone IQ and I had sustained balance energy. That was my shot before the show, my alcohol alternative. And it's not even an alcohol, even alternative, but it's a I felt amazing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So thank you for getting me through the concert. And I'll, and then separately, I spoke to, I was talking to Gwyneth Paltrow on the phone a few weeks ago before I even knew you were coming on the podcast. And she's a friend of mine. She's been on the podcast. And synchronistically, I said, hey, I was talking about the science of ketones. And I said, have you tried ketone IQ? She said, I have it in my fridge. So you were making a huge imprint in the wellness world. I had to say this. So f- f- with that said, what is ketone IQ? What is the world of exogenous, exogenous ketones to fuel our brains? First of all, that's awesome. Super jealous. You got to see Beebs. He's, he's great. <laughs> Unironically love the Beebs. I think he's a good, good, good soul. Good guy. But good guy. Yeah. There's uh, glad you're, uh, there's way, way crazier people for <laughs> your son to be. I know. I, cool. I am blessed. I've said the same thing. Like, just like him, at least he's like a decent human being is trying to do better in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And I empathize a lot with that. I just had a daughter, just turned four months. So I just wow, seeing all this kind of. Congratulations. Yeah. It's fun. Just seeing all this play out in front of me. It's, it's cool. It's definitely. She'll be a, into the Biebs, I'm sure, later on in life. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just seeing what what show am I going to be at in 16 years from now. <laughs> yeah, cool. Glad we were able to be there. I think the yeah, the, it's it's cool that ketones have become a mainstream item now. Our whole vision around ketone IQ was you rewind the clock to 2016, 2017. My co-founder and I we had a booming nootropics business. This was called Nootrobox. We got onto Shark Tank. We were in Wall Street Journal, Vice. Ooh. We were one of the big nootropics companies to really put nootropics on the map in a mainstream way. And that was, that was booming. And then we started looking around just more broadly about performance and health. And we saw everyone was talking about bulletproof coffee. Hey, put down your Frappuccino sugar bomb, pick up some bulletproof, put grass-fed butter and MCTs in your coffee, no sugar, make your body make ketones. My co-founder and I, we also started an intermittent fasting group called WeFast in San Francisco that had 80,000 members online. And we would do these weekly biohacker breakfasts where we'd all break our fast together. We'd all fast on Tuesdays and then break our fast together on Wednesday at different locations in San Francisco. So we're doing, we were looking at keto. We were looking at fasting. 
I was becoming a marathoner. I was getting, I did my first half marathon, got it, got hooked. I was thinking about all the aspects of metabolic flexibility, like we're talking about. And the word ketone kept coming up because whatever you're doing, if you're training for a marathon, you're talking about ketones. If you're fasting, you're talking about ketones. If you're doing bulletproof coffee, you're talking about ketones. My co-founder and I asked the dumb slash smart question on it, which was, hey, I can go to the store and buy collagen. I can go to the store and buy omega-3s or whey protein or CBD. Why can't I go and buy a ketone? Like It feels amazing. Everyone's trying to get it. Why can't I just have a shot at ketones? Why doesn't it sit there right next to the you know, Vive or core like energy, the immunity shots. Why isn't there a ketone shot there? And it was pulling that thread where in 2017, we launched the world's first ketone drink. It was, it was very, it was still very like high end and technical at that point where our first customer was the United States Department of Defense. We got a $6 million contract with Special Operations Command. The former chair of the Joint Chiefs is a board advisor. So really plugged into the special operator community some of the most elite performers in the world. That's what version one was all about, was getting exposure around super high-end performers. After several years of work there, we figured out some big breakthroughs in how to... In, in formulation and manufacturing, and we're able to bring down the cost significantly. And earlier this year, we launched Ketone IQ, where we took everything that we learned and we made it... Finally, it's accessible. It's $4 a shot. It comes in a bottle of 10 servings. That's 40 bucks. You can buy it online. You can buy it on Amazon where every week we're lighting up more stores where you can buy we have the like these we have those single shots like I'm, if people are listening and I'm holding in my hand like we have these single shots that sit, sit next to Vive and Core and the kind of wellness shot set at grocery stores gyms wellness centers where you can just get a quick boost of ketones so it's been a journey for sure and we're really motivated by ketones as a nutritional primitive they should be as available as all these other nutritional primitives like collagen and CBD. And everyone's doing metabolism all the time, whether you're trying to lose weight, trying to just focus at your desk and get in the zone, going to a Biebs concert with your son, <laughs> running a as marathon, like metabolism. We're all doing metabolism all the time and ketones should be a tool that's in everyone's toolkit. Yeah, to fully. And, to, and just personally, I only needed one shot beforehand and I felt amazing. And then I did a couple, another one a couple of hours later. It's all I needed, but it's such a sustained energy. People have to be thinking about this. It's not the jittery sort of artificial stimulant. Like I'm trembling from the inside with caffeine. It's very clean, pure, like sustained energy for people to, to realize that. Very cool. Very cool. So my friend, as you know, the podcast is called the art of being well, this at the end of the episodes, we have a section called your art of being well. This is Michael Brandt's art of being well. I just want to pick your brain, learn from the master about different things within your wellness world. Are you up for this challenge? I'm super up for it. And right. I, I, we, at best, we are a meeting of masters here. I would say <laughs> learn a lot from you. And Thanks, buddy. Yeah, happy to, happy to share what I've found to be true. Per, thank you so much. Well, let's dig into it. So what's the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat because you know it's freaking healthy for you, but you don't really enjoy the taste. It's a great question. Okay, off the bat, I will say kimchi. I think kimchi is <laughs> fantastic for you. I can't really stomach it, but I think that it's really good for you. I think fermented foods in general, we don't get enough of. Really good for your gut microbiome. You can take some fancy prebiotic supplement, whatever, or just eat your damn kimchi. Go to the weirdest <laughs> restaurant, get the funkiest yogurt. 
activate the, like the biome. Hardcore fermented food. I, I, you can get some really gnarly tasting kimchi or smelling kimchis. Do you have any one that you you go to? Like when I mean, you, or it's just, you do, do you have a brand that you like, I guess, with with kimchis or that you buy? No, there, I mean, there's a couple of restaurants around LA and like K-Town that we go to often and we'll always just load it up. Got it. Got it. Here's the next question. Do you think that we're better or worse off with social media? Better. Explain. Generally, I am pro technology. For any technology, there's better or worse applications of it. I generally am pro technology and specifically on social media. I believe in the original vision of the internet, the information superhighway. You can connect with people. You can find people with similar interests. You can go join a subreddit. You can find people who are passionate about your topics on Twitter. You can learn. You can build a following for yourself. You just can be a college student or you could be working a job. Maybe it's a job you don't love and you can build a following of 10,000, 25, 100,000 people, build an audience. That can be your ticket to go jump and run your own business as your own entrepreneur. I believe in that like promised land of what the internet could be and what social media could provide. I think that that outweighs the negatives. I think a lot of there are negative, like, there are no doubt there are negatives. Like there are negatives in society as well. There's negatives in like just the town square of 300 years ago, everyone <laughs> yeah. like yelling at each other. And like yeah, a lot of some bad good things, things happened in town squares. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah, there's some good things happening. Like people are selling their wares, people are doing commerce, yeah. meeting each other, exchanging ideas, but there's also crazy stuff going on. Yeah. I think that social media has just 10x that. 100%. And it's partly just philosophical, call me an optimist, where I just think that. I'm optimistic on humans, optimistic on progress. I think a multiplier that 10Xs things, it's going to 10X some of the bad things like bullying and addiction. It's also going to 10X the good things. And I think that the bucket of good, it outweighs the bucket of bad. I think there's a lot of critical questions being asked. And I think those are the right questions to be asked. But I don't go so far as to be like anti-social media. I think that's a nuanced opinion. I actually... you. Really, because I tend to be like, ugh, like this, there's a lot of negativity. But look, it's the abuse of the technology, right? Just like with anything else, like you can abuse any good thing and use it for ill. So I, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I think if you use it in the right way, I think if you make a personal mission to create more than you consume, I think if you limit your time on it, I think if you follow people for productive, don't hate follow people. Like don't True. follow your ex or some celeb that you hate. Or I don't know, <laughs> you see a lot of that. It's like follow people that actually inspire you, that Amen. you're learning from. Like, if you yeah. put some guardrails around it, 100%. and again, that's that's a big that's putting a lot of like weight on the word like what you should do, but there's definitely a better way to yeah for your own mental health and for the health of other people. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that viewpoint. Well, we can thank Al Gore for the internet, right? <laughs> thank you, thank you, Al. <laughs> All right, what's an overrated supplement in your opinion? Okay, this might this might ruffle some feathers, but I think CBD is overrated. Let's go there. So what, what are your thoughts on this? I think there are some specific applications of CBD that are helpful for some people. I think a large component of the CBD industry is going to go away as THC continues to be legalized. I think a lot of CBD has been positioned as this, it's like the next best thing, or like you want to have this kind of bad boy brand of like, oh, it's got cannabis, hemp in it. It's, it's, you see a lot of how it's even designed on the packaging where they're trying to like suggest that this stuff gets you a little bit 
lit, but it doesn't have the thing that people actually want, which is the THC. I think a lot of the CBD industry is going to go away as THC gets legalized. And that's what people actually want. People want to feel like the psychoactive. They want to get a little high. CBD is the next best thing that can be legal. And it gets you like, a I don't know, for some people, it gets you like a little, little high or it's a placebo effect. I think that's like a significant part of the CBD industry. I'm not trying to take CBD away from someone's grandma who has arthritis. Like if that's working, amazing. Yeah. But I will say I, my sense on the industry and just talking with some other people who are operating in the space is that yeah. a lot of it seems like it's the skim milk version of the actual cannabis. Yeah. And it's going to go away if people can actually get the full fat, whole milk. Yeah. THC. Hey, look, again, that is a very insightful, observant opinion. I think it is. It is very a bloated industry. I think it's a wild, wild west. You can get a lot of ineffective crap out there that well, I fully agree. I, I And I also agree that there are amazing people doing really cool things within the space and supporting the ECS. But yeah, it's the, the, I think a lot will be cut out as THC becomes more legalized. Agreed. What's the weirdest thing that you're willing to admit on a podcast that you've done for your wellness. And I know weird is relative, so it may not be weird to you, but just like you, you know, out there what people think, <laughs> what's weird to society that you're, that you've done. I'm stumping you with these questions. I like this. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> of a few different things here. And you're like, I have to represent the company here. What, what can I, what can I say? I think a few different answers. I'm trying to think what's the like absolute weirdest. I mean, I've done a seven day long fast. That felt great. That was really cool. Like got a, got, did blood biomarkers before and after. Nice. That was fun. I just did a water fast recently and I did ketone IQ during the fast and it really was brilliant. So another plug to your, for your product there. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people like it while they're fasting because yeah. the whole goal of, of your fast is to not spike insulin, not have any carbs. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's really good. There's gotta be something weirder that I did. I'm trying to think <laughs> I, that's, I'm like a weird person. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I'll just like walk around in my Vibrams. Like just, I'll go on barefoot runs. I do like, I'll just like be that guy that's stretching in the sauna. So I, I'm like a weird dude. Like, so I'm trying to think like, what's the craziest thing. Yeah. There's just done this so day. much weird. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe a lot of things I do, you'd consider a little bit weird. I don't know, like going swimming in the San Francisco Bay, it's like 54 degrees and it's just absolutely freezing. You just go out. I, I, I lived in San Francisco for a while. And by the end there, I was going out without a wetsuit and you're just getting mild hypothermia, but you're just getting it. You're just getting after it. You get really tough. And it's really good. Cause I've done some triathlons some half Ironman, some uh, Olympic distance, and it just makes you so tough. I mean, even if you're not training for a triathlon, it's just like you come out of that and you just, you just, you swim like a couple miles and what feels like ice cold water, you come out of that, you're a different person. Love it. Do you do cold therapy now, now being in LA, do you do it like controlled in like a ice bath, anything like that or no? Yeah. I just did one the other day, this place called Remedy Place. I'm actually more of a fan, not that it's an either or, but I'm more of a fan of heat therapy for recovery. Hmm. The rationale being that cold is really good for suppressing inflammation. So you go on a long yeah. run, your joints hurt, you get cold, it will squeeze a lot of the blood out of your muscles and then you won't be as inflamed. You might feel better. You'll be able to go do it again the next day better. However, some amount of inflammation is actually good for recovery. Yeah. And heat, heat like encourages it. Heat engorges your blood vessels, increases circulation of nutrition. So again, it's not an either or thing. You can even go to the same place and do heat, cold, 
cycle within the same half hour, hour. But generally, I think for long-term recovery, like if you're, if, you're doing, if you're training for months and you really have a big end goal, and it's not so much about, hey, I need to feel great to be able to do it again tomorrow. But if you have more of the long view in mind where, hey, I'm okay with... I, I don't, it's not about tomorrow. It's about like a week from today, having the most compounded benefits. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a bigger fan of heat than cold. What's your favorite? Do you have a do you have a sauna at your place, or what what do you do for as far as heat therapy? Yeah, I mean, I go to the gym. So I was I used to live near an Equinox, and I lived near Cold's gym, and yeah, just gym sauna. Cool. Get in a. It's really fun. I like to go after. Um, I mean, one of my favorite stacks as a marathon runner is like a three day build where it'll be like a recovery day where I'm just like lightly jogging, maybe six mile light jog, really slow, and then the next day. I do speed work, fresh legs, speed work in the morning. And then that night I'd lift heavy, like deadlifts, like just get really strong legs and your legs are already tired from sprints in the morning. Then hit a sauna that night. And then the next morning, go on a long run, like 14 miles on those like really jelly legs. Mm-hmm. That sequence I think is one of my tricks to... I'm, I run six minute miles for the marathon. Like I've done a few different marathons and gotten really really good, really quickly. I think that that specific block I would do like in the middle of every week. And it was just like a journey every week. And I think that was a big part of... I I think like stacking it like that worked. Very cool. Love the tip. What's your favorite? It's not necessarily a health food, but a better for you snack food. What, What Do you have a favorite there? Yeah. Well, I like Olipop a lot. The soda brand uh, yeah. maybe seen around where oh, yeah. it's, it's prebiotic. Yeah. It's prebiotic. It's super low sugar. It's, it, I, I like the root beer one is fantastic. I like that a lot. It's like, I don't even really drink. I, I was never really big soda drinker to begin with, but I, I like that over soda. It's like, what's the point? Like, yeah. Like that Olipop is good or at least like not bad for you versus uh, Coca-Cola. I'll have like a Coca-Cola like once a year on like my <laughs> birthday or something. I, I'm like, I look at Coca-Cola. It looks like a pack of Marlboro Reds to me. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I, I love the Olipop. I love the space of the carbonated beverages with the prebiotic stuff. There's a few brands that are doing it right now, but the, I like, doesn't have the prebiotics, but I like the taste of Zevia, Cola Zevia. I'm like a super fan. Have you tried that before? Yeah, that one's really good too. Yeah. Doesn't have the prebiotics, but whatever. And I wouldn't call it a health food, but it would be a better alternative to having X amount of grams of high fructose corn syrup for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do no you, high fructose corn syrup on the Savannah. No, no. Surprisingly <laughs> not. Surprisingly not. What do you know? I'm curious. Do you know your Myers Briggs or Enneagram type by chance? I don't. I'm I'm weird about that stuff. Where I like don't believe it. Maybe that is a certain personality <laughs> type of itself where yeah, it's you like... probably are a specific personality type. Yeah. That's, oh, that probably means I'm an I a bunch of voodoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I guess my stance on it is like, I think a lot of people are bad at self-reporting and you kind of project what you think that you want to be. But like, I don't think people are super honest with how they are. And also, my mood changes a lot because there's questions like, oh, on a Friday night, would you rather be at the library or at a party? And it's like, I don't know. I've had, um, I've been, I don't know. I, yo, I, I studied abroad in college. I went to Barcelona. Like I've been out all night and I also have been like up late, <laughs> like nerding away on stuff, editing videos, writing code on a Friday night. So to me, I have a very hard time with those because I don't know which one my personality 
goes to. I think I, I think life also has chapters to it where yeah, right now I'm, I'm a dad. Involve. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm a dad and a CEO now. I probably have a different personality than I did when I was 23. And, but like maybe when I'm 45 and we're just, ketones are freaking everywhere and it's a bajillion dollar business. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. be a different type of person. Yeah. I, You're swimming in ketone baths right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're probably, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. What do you think? Should I have a more open mind about I, it? Should I take I, the test? This is what I would say. I, I, I by yeah. no means. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. And I do agree that people are very subjective so you can get different scores and there's probably a gold standard way of doing these sort of things and being assessed appropriately. My guess would be you're an Enneagram, Enneagram three. I'll, I'll message you afterwards and we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. I should do this. Okay. <laughs> right. I think I should just do it just for the kicks. Yeah, that's right. I want to see if I'm right. And that's what I'm curious about. All right. Last question. I want to know yours, but don't tell me. Let's, let's, let yeah. me do it. All right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I won't okay. tell you. I won't tell you. All right. The next question. Do you ever go to Starbucks or, and if you do, what's your order or are you a wellness demigod and you would never, never just entertain such an idea? I, I go, I think you need to have, you need to be able to survive in the context. Like you need to be able to walk into a 7-Eleven yes. and buy what's healthy there. Like, I don't know, a lot of times it's like, there's, you, you can usually find like peanuts and milk and have, like there's a couple of like better normal, options. Yeah. They have some grass fed jerky options now, 7-Eleven, yeah. gas stations. I, I've, I've been there. I know what's up. You're right. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Like, how do you live life? Yeah, like you have to be be pragmatic. Not everyone is like, not every store is going to be like an Air One. What? With like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not everything is just going to be perfect nutrition. You have to be able to like navigate. So yeah, I'll go to Starbucks. You know, the sous vide egg bites there are very low carb, nice protein, like good, like solid eggs. What? Right? right? Yep. Really good. You can always get That's what a, my kids get. My kids get the egg bites. The Yeah. It's like pretty decent. Not the perfect ingredients, but better for you options, pragmatically. Yeah, exactly. Better for you options. And then you can have, you know, have a coffee. You can have them put whole milk in it. You can have, usually there's a few other things. There might be some like cheese and a little bit of fruit. Like you can have, you can cobble together something decent if you're at an airport and mm -hmm. that's the option that's, that's there for you. Love it. Last question, my friend. What is a book you've read in the last year that it could be fiction, nonfiction, that's been a game changer for you personally? I have a few different answers to this. I, I read a lot. Let me see the best. You want a business book or a fiction book? Like, or just other? surprise us. Like, maybe one, let's do one of each. Let's do one. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I love this book called Snow Crash Fiction. That's actually where the term metaverse was coined. And it's this book from like the early nineties and it's, it's super good. It's non, it's um, science fiction. It's actually pretty funny for sci-fi book, really fun read, really prescient, like predicted a lot of things that I, it's not like it's coming true right now, but it's, it's an interesting portrait of how the, the future could look. And everyone's talking about the metaverse these days. It's interesting to go to the source of where that word even came from. Mm -hmm. Other book I, I love on just like a business level. I think, Tony Fidel at Apple. He's the guy that he actually invented the iPod, right? Like Steve Jobs gets all of the credit, but even in Steve Jobs's bio, there's a whole there's a whole chapter about how he like found Tony Fidel and recruited him. And Tony was like the guy. He was working at some other electronics companies and was like one of the few people in the world that actually knew how the technical bits of something like an iPod would work. So yes, Steve Jobs vision guy, great storyteller. Tony actually built the damn thing. He has a book that's called Build. And I just love it. It's so practical for like an entrepreneur where 
it's not just like Apple keynotes, like flashy, cool, cool, whatever. I think I found it actually more relatable than a lot of other business books because the guy actually did the damn thing. He's like, here's what it's like when you're managing a team of five people. Here's what it's like when you're managing a team of 20 people. Here's how you have to change as a leader. Here's like, it is very brass tacks mm-hmm. on arguably one of the biggest, most important consumer products in the last century. You know what yeah. I mean? Like top, it's, it's on that top 100 list for sure. Yeah. Highly recommend it if people are any kind of builder, entrepreneur, anything like that. Love that. Man, this has been a rich conversation to say the least. Appreciate you immensely. How can people get to learn? How can they learn more about the things we were talking about with your work? My company is called Healthier Modern Nutrition. It's hvmn.com. You can find us at hvmn. Me personally, I'm out there. I'm at bdm underscore runner. I'm on all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Say hi. I love hearing from people. Love hearing what people are training for or what their goals are or what they're trying out in their lives. Love to hear from people. Yeah, drop a line. Thanks, man. But come, come back anytime, honestly. Dr. Cole, this is amazing. Really, really fun conversation today. Thanks, buddy. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.